The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guy's Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guy's Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, get you to think and feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. We've got a great show for you today. My special guest, his name is Bill Humbert. He's also known as the Recruiter Guy. He's got two books on job hunting, basically, and how to manage your career. One is called, the new one, Expect Success, the Science of the Over 50 Career Search. So for all the folks over 50, who sometimes are challenged when it comes to finding themselves without a position and trying to get back into the workforce when it's so competitive out there. So we're going to talk about that and some of the methodologies for getting yourself relocated, if you will, in a new position. And he's also got another book called Employee 5.0, Secrets of a Successful Job Search in a New World Order. So we're going to talk about that. And, you know, the whole employment market, if you will, has gone topsy-turvy since the pandemic. We have so many people who have uh, the great resignation. We've got so many people working remotely now. We've got the business models of so many companies changing. Now we're talking about four days a week and do people need to be in the office? And if so, which people need to be there and how often? So everything's being reconsidered. And Bill's got a lot of great advice. He's been at this for like 40 years and he's just got so many truths, if you will, from how to deal with the people aspect of job hunting and also how to network and leverage your skill set so it can transcend specific industries and also help you stay connected and stay in the flow and in the mix as you get into your 50s and beyond. So I think you're really going to enjoy our interview. What else is happening? Well, for myself, you know, we're getting into the summer season now, heading towards it at least. And everybody's saying, okay, I want to, am I in shape? Did I lose that COVID-15 yet? Well, I've been doing, uh, and something I've mentioned a few times on the show, my process of elimination diet. And what I do is I give up a different food or beverage and make it aggregate every week during the year. So I'm up to my 15th week and I just gave up a little, (laughs) a little something that I have a craving for. And that is yogurt covered pretzels. So I figured since I'm craving them and I've had them, and they're not really good for me, they're out. So in 15 weeks, I started with alcohol. Then let me give you the list real quick. Alcohol, potato chips, candy, cupcakes, cake, kettle corn, donuts, sour cream, cream cheese, ice cream, cow's milk, chocolate-covered pretzels, soda, flavored yogurt, now yogurt-covered pretzels. So I'm eliminating everything I'm craving. As you can see, a lot of it has been sweets, And as I get through the year, I'm sure I'll get into more of the carbs and more of the salty snacks that I tend to enjoy. I did this diet a couple of years ago, and I lost 24 pounds. 
and I learned all about my secret cravings for different types of foods and how to beat those cravings by eliminating them from my diet. So I figured I'm going to do it another year. I'm going to write a short book about it, about my experience and how it works, because now that I'm doing it for a second time, it's a little bit different than the first time. And I'm learning a lot and I'm going to share all of that with you. But I can tell you, just eliminating some things, you're, you're, when you have these cravings, what happens is because the following week you're going to have to give up something else, once you give something else up, give something up, it kind of drops off the, your radar screen. I haven't had an issue with, oh, wow, I wish I didn't give up sour cream or whatever. Once it's gone, it's gone. But I think part of that is because this is the second time I've been through the process and I know how it works. But the great thing about this diet is that it eliminates cravings. You identify cravings and then you eliminate them. And I've also added to this, I've been doing intermittent fasting. So I'm eating now from noon until about 7 p.m. My window's about seven hours now. I started it at eight hours, moved it to seven hours, and hopefully I'll be able to collapse a little more. And what that does, it really helps your body kind of repair itself and burn off some of the fat that it has on there while you're doing that short, those short fasts. The other thing I'm going to try to do with my wife is we're going to fast for 48 hours once a week and see how that goes and really kick that intermittent fasting up to the next notch. So anyhow, that's what I'm doing. What are you doing to get yourself ready for the summer season and really get yourself in great shape and really take care of yourselves? Because it's always good to just add some more things, consider some new things, get out there, start walking, doing whatever, but taking that first step and trying things for your health is a great idea. So Guys Guys Radio, my special guest is Bill Humbert. We're going to get into our interview with him and learn all about job hunting after 50. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, and today we're going to talk about a very important subject to a lot of folks out there because things have been really topsy-turvy in the workforce for the last couple of years and beyond that, and particularly for folks over There's 50 never with so many things going on than we had the pandemic and remote want to jobs be, and yet it's the great resignation and all kinds of stuff. If you really want to get are. out there and guys, work, guys, sometimes guys, it's not as easy as you may think Robert because is on um, although there's a lot of jobs available, it's competitive for those who want to work. There's a lot of competition. So I've got a very special guest, Bill Humbert, who calls himself the recruiter guy. He's been involved in corporate recruiting from the inside and outside of major hiring companies for the past. 40 men, years. He's a world. sought after speaker, successful author. We're going to talk about two of his books, Employee 5.0 and Expect Success, which helps folks over 50 get jobs. He's got a 12-step system for finding the right job. He's read over 400,000 resumes. God bless him. And also interviewed over 13,000 candidates. God bless him again. And he's worked for 3,000 hiring managers. Once again, God bless him for that. So his book, Employee uh, 5.0, brings us the secrets of the successful job search in a new world order. And a new book, Expect Success, delves into the science of the over 50 job search. First time on Guys Guys Radio. Welcome, Bill Humbert. How are you doing, Bill? Robert, I'm doing well. Thank you. Your new book is called Expect Success, the science of the over 50 career search. So, just out of curiosity, what makes it a science versus an art, or is it both in terms of people over 50 looking and finding new positions? 
You know, I I titled it a, the science because there's four different sciences that are involved. The first science is mathematics. And think about your job search. It's numbers, 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 whether it's salary negotiation, whether it's a number of candidates that are applying, whether it's a number of companies that you're looking at. So mathematics are involved, and then they're also involved in the artificial intelligence with uh, computer science. So that's two on the mathematics side, computer science and mathematics. And then on the other side, you have psychology, the science of psychology, and that's how you feel and how the manager feels during the interview. And then you have the sociology, and that science is the cultural fit. So there's four different sciences, and most people don't even consider one. (laughs) Amazing. So I guess the obvious question is, what are the biggest obstacles the over 50 crowd has when job hunting? You know, probably, at least in my experience, is their fear that they're not going to be able to find another position that will be equal to or better than the one they're in right now or the one they just left. How important is a resume and what do you need to communicate on a resume? Because obviously, if you worked and, you know, nowadays people work in jobs, you know, sometimes five years or so, and then they're on the move. And you're going to, you can have a lot of information and there's not a lot of time that people have hiring managers have to read your resume. So how do you manage that space on the piece of paper to manage your resume when you're over 50? This is very important. Obviously I spend an average of six seconds on a person's resume when I'm looking at resumes. And I was timed in 1993 where I got that number and she Andrea decided to time me as I went through a stack of about 150 paper resumes. And so that was 93. I like to think I've improved since then, but she found that I spent as little as two seconds on a resume and those went into definitely interested or definitely not interested stack. And I spent as much as 12 whole seconds on a resume and those mostly went into definitely not interested in the painful, I'll take another look stack. And I averaged six seconds of resume. What's important? The most important thing is what accomplishments have you made? Have you just floated in the currents of your company or have you been out there making accomplishments within that company? So the first thing I believe after your contact information up in the center of the resume is to write summary and then have four or five sentences that have some metrics that demonstrate accomplishments that you've made. And then down in the body, you can show where that happened. Mm-hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. You talk about something, uh, you have a 12-step program for success. One of the things is the here I am, which is kind of an elevator pitch. So I guess when you go into an interview, many times, even though the person has looked at your resume and maybe made some phone calls, whatever they say, so what's going on? Tell me about yourself. How are you doing? What do you say? Uh, Well, so the way you structure that is, you know, plan on about two minutes. And the structure is probably about a minute and 15 to a minute and 25 talking about what you've done and then mention one or two accomplishments. And that's really important because when you talk about your accomplishments, you get excited about them and you, you know, that comes to the surface and managers see that. And then the reason why I'm leaving is, 
could be I popped out with my job, could be I was laid off because of COVID, whatever the problem was, what I would like to do next. And that's just a very quick 10 seconds on what you would like to do next. And most importantly, at the end of that, if you're networking, you ask, who do you feel I should speak with next? If it's the person that you're interviewing with that tell me about yourself, then you can talk a little bit about what you know that they're looking for and how you can help them. What are, what are some of the biggest mistakes that candidates make on a routine basis that are easily addressable? You know, Robert, <laughs> the main one is posting your resume online and praying <laughs> that the right person's looking at it because they're not. <laughs> today's world the applicant tracking system is who is looking at your resume are you aware that you if you have a harvard mba you could be dinged because you do not have high school diploma on your resume how does that work what harvard mba is going to do that right but if the job description says high school diploma required for whatever mysterious reason, that's how the African tracking system is measuring you, how you're, me- how you're matching the keywords in the job description. Well, how does the candidate manage the ATS, this, this, this logar- algorithm, this AI algorithm that everybody goes into and, you know, a lot of people don't come out of with any leads? <laughs> Most don't. So you need a score of probably about 85% match in, I call it the artificial, artificial intelligence, in order to get a phone call from HR. And, And that means that the AI is not very smart because it doesn't accept past tense of a word that's used in the res in the job description. And so you get dinged if you said fastened and they're looking for fastened. It's it's dumb. So in that in that case, should you never use past tense, even if it's a previous position? You should use past tense, what you should the ATS. And the way to avoid the ATS is network your way in. I want to clear up the fact that a lot of folks who are looking for a position, they don't realize that the bottom line is the recruiter is being paid by the hiring company. So you have to be very careful how you manage your relationship with the recruiter. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be negative at all because everything's going to get back in the part of the screening process. The recruiter's job is recruiters being paid by the hiring company. Could you just elaborate on that on a little, a little bit? Because I think a lot of times people contact recruiters and they think, oh, here's what I'm trying to do, help me find a job. But the recruiter has assignments from hiring companies, and that's how you work with a recruiter. That's correct. So as a recruiter, I work with the company. That's my client. They're the ones paying me. I've had candidates say to me in the past, and they've probably said it about me too, but they've given the name of a recruiter I know and said, well, they really didn't help me. Well, that's not their job. (laughs) Their job is not to help you. Their job is to help the person paying them, and that's the company. So that's number one. 
Number two, there's two different recruiters you're talking about. One is the professional recruiter, and that's me. The other is the HR recruiter. And the HR recruiter, unfortunately, in most cases, is not a sales professional. And so they don't understand the sales process. And uh, and so my delete, uh, my disrupt HR speech is delete recruiting from HR. <laughs> and that's really a popular topic, except the HR people don't like it too much. <laughs> I wonder um, why. <laughs> yeah. But but think about it. You're right. The the recruiter is going to be taking down your information and good or bad. And so if you're being negative, that's going to be a big ding against you because I'm not going to introduce you if you're being negative. And I've had those moments where people were negative for all the wrong reasons to begin with, or they brought up, I hated my manager, blah, blah, blah. Well, is that the manager problem or is, were you the problem? And so you never bring up anything that's negative during an interview. It's not smart. Okay, Bill Humbert is my special guest, the recruiter guy, recruiterguy.com. He's got a series of books, Employee 5.0, Secrets of a Successful Job Search in the New World Order and Expect Success, the Science of the Over 50 Career Search. You mentioned networking, which is a real buzzword. And it seems like, you know, the way to find a job is really through networking, not necessarily through folks like a recruiter guy or the hiring companies that you have to really talk to a lot of people and you set up a system where you make lists of people that you've worked with, people that you know, and then you have two types of meetings with them, you know, kind of asking for their advice and then asking you to point it to other folks. Talk to us about how to get started in that process. You know, Robert, I've had a lot of people that I've coached say, I don't know how to network. And, and my response to them is, oh, you're being silly. And they're looking at me like, what? And I say, when you were three years old and your brother or sister walked past you with an ice cream cone, didn't you say, where'd you get that? <laughs> That's networking. <laughs> You've been networking your entire life. You go to college and you say, who's the best professor that teaches the class? Or who's the easiest professor that teaches that class? That's networking. We've been networking all our lives. The problem is all of a sudden at 21 or 22 or 23, somebody says, well, you need to network to a job. And they're going, I don't know how. We've been networking our entire life. And so since you're in a sales process in your career search, it's important to understand you need to act like a sales professional. And the way sales professionals act is they will make lists of who it is that they're going to contact either over a week or over a month. And you should have somewhere around 500 names and contact information. Now, the best way to talk to net network contacts is using this thing. It's called a phone. <laughs> um, texting, don't text. Um, emails, don't email. The best way to talk to your networking contacts is actually speak with them. And, and so then I hear, well, I don't know their phone number. Do you know where they work? Yeah. Does it have a corporate number? Yeah. Call the corporate number. <laughs> and then you'll get a directory because nobody has a receptionist anymore. And you dial the first three letters of their name in and bang, you get them. So with managers, you call them 
between seven and eight in the morning because they generally get in a little bit early so they can get some work done before the, the meetings start. And then, you know, try over lunchtime. And then after four o'clock, you might be able to get them too. So, so it's important to, to plan your days around those times. And those are what I call prime time. The non-prime time is in the evening when you work on your LinkedIn profile and resume and the rest of the process. So when you make this contact, let's say you're calling somebody up early in the morning, how do you pose that conversation? Depends on who it is. If it's a family member or if it's Uh, a friend. Maybe it's a business associate. Let's say that. Let's say it's a business associate. So so Robert, hey, the reason I'm calling is I don't know if you're aware, but um, my cl- my company just had a layoff. I was one of 300 people who were laid off, and um, I'd like to bring you up to date on some of the things that I've done recently. And in that process, maybe you can think of somebody that maybe I should speak with next. And so you you talk about that, and then what they may say is, "Wow, our company has an opening. I didn't know you were available." <laughs> Let me hook you up. And that's happened more times than you might want to believe. The other thing is, you know, I know somebody that I think that you should talk to. You know, remember, people who play golf are always talking about business and they're always talking about their pain points in business. And one of their pain points is generally people. And, you know, if I could find the right sales guy, we would just go crazy with sales. Well, if you're the right sales guy, they're going to want to talk to you. So that's how you really go about it. And and then let's say that you introduce me to somebody that I don't know. Hey, the reason I'm calling is I talked to uh, Robert Manny and he said that I should speak with you. Now, if I'm that person and I mentioned your name, Am I going to let you down? Of course. No. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to listen. I'm going to help if I can, if I can do it. So here's the metric that's really important. The, what used to be known as outplacement uh, industry. Now it's called career transition industry. 74 to 76% of all jobs are filled through networking. Amazing. 8% are filled through posting and praying. So let's say you have one of these networking meetings with somebody and you ask them if there's somebody that you can be pointed to and they take some notes and they say, let me think about it. I'm off to a meeting in a little while, whatever. So, okay, you finish up. I assume you send them a quick thank you note. How do you then follow up with making sure you get something out of that meeting? So it's always good to ask them before you get off the phone, when's a good time for me to call you back after you've had the opportunity to think? Mm -hmm. And that way you're getting permission from them and the expectation that you will call them back. How about when you go through the interview process? I know somebody who went through an interview process recently and they went all the way through kind of towards the finals and then they met one hiring manager and they, they didn't get the position. And they, they were very qualified and they're very nice and sharp. And this person didn't know why they didn't get the position. Is there a way to find out or is it so uh, sheltered now that people, companies are afraid to say anything because they don't want to be sued? Uh, well, there is that. But, you know, in my experience, 
first of all, humans are wonderfully creative in the dumb things that we can do. Mm-hmm. And and one of the dumb things is I can't tell you how many times when I tried to give some coaching that the person attacked me verbally. And, and I'm going, why should I do this? It's painful. And so it's not so much that the company is worried about getting sued because they've got all the documentation or they better. And, and so they know why it is that they did not want to hire somebody. And it could be simply an EEOC problem that they have. You know, maybe they don't have enough diversity. They're a large enough company to get under the scrutiny and they have to hire somebody that's, you know, in the diverse population, whatever it is. That could be part of it. But the other thing is usually there's one place in the interview that that person did not excel. Mm-hmm. And it could be just basic experience. How but don't that- be the person that calls me and says, I know who you hired and they're not as good as me. And, I, and I've had yeah. that before. Oh, geez. Well, how can the person then, the candidate, if they can they go back to the company and, and to put themselves out there to let them know, hey, I'm very interested in your company. Thank you for the opportunity for this particular position. Can you keep me kind of on a list? Um, assuming that they didn't poop in the bed or anything during the interview, how to, how, what's the best way to do that? Because those are always great contacts to have. If you've gotten into a company, into HR, met hiring managers, it didn't work out all the way, but you got pretty far down the, down the highway with them, there could be another opportunity that opens up where, you know, chemistry is very important also, where you connect with a different hiring manager for a similar position. How do you manage that so you keep, you, keep in, on their radar? So if you um, if you write handwrite a thank you note and send it to them right after your interview or drop it off the next day, whichever, you are setting yourself way apart from everybody else. Probably fewer than one percent of all candidates write a handwritten thank you note. So so that's one way to really set yourself apart and could be the difference between being selected and not being selected. How can somebody who, uh, I'm going to take my wife as an example. She worked at a pretty high up in the DOE in New York. We moved out to California and she probably would prefer to be on more of the corporate side. And she's got two masters and she's got the educational background and she doesn't necessarily want to go into the, the system, if you will, the Department of Education system out here. And she's not sure where to turn in terms of get her networking going because her network is back east. We're in a new place. She's highly qualified, but she hasn't really nailed, drilled down into this is the exact type of position I want. How does somebody like that get off the dime and get moving? First of all, you have to understand that people out east know people out west. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even if they don't know them all the way out west, they might know somebody in the Midwest who then knows somebody out west. Right. You know, you've heard of six degrees of separation. So within six phone calls, I can reach any person in, in the United States by asking the right questions. That's how she needs to find her position. And, you know, somebody back east who knew about her qualifications and what she could offer a company would be a great reference and a great introduction to a company in California. Mm -hmm. 
about, let me give you a different situation. Somebody like myself, I left advertising close to a decade ago. I've been building my own business. I've got a radio show that's in 101 countries. I've got my YouTube. I got my podcast. I'm on KCAA. I'm a published author. I've got a lot of social media, et cetera. And I might want to step in and help out some companies out here and to do some consulting work because there's a lot of them that do marketing. And I've come from the Madison Avenue, the highest levels back east. And San Diego, where I live right now, isn't exactly, it's not, it's not Madison Avenue, but they have companies here and they have consumer products and stuff. What's the best way for to put myself if I so chose? And I used myself just an example because there's a lot of people like me who've been out for a little while building something else, but say, hey, maybe I should keep my hand in this because it's money and I can help out. What's the best way for me to put myself out there? If I see a company out here and say, I can help them, what's the best way to get in touch? Just pick up the phone? Well, that's one way. Or find somebody that you know who knows somebody in there and network your way in. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, it's networking is something that you can do anytime, anyplace. And that's going to be the stronger relationship to get you in. However, you know, I do cold calls when I'm looking for my next recruiting consulting. And I just look to see who's got a lot of openings or maybe a really niche. So today I signed a contract with the company, uh, the Park City Culinary Institute. You know, and you go, what do you know about culinary? And I said, well, I eat food. You know, <laughs> I, I know how to go find people. You show me what you're looking for and I'll go find them for you. So, so it's important to understand that you've got skills that can be used across industries. And then it's your job to make sure they understand what those skills are and what it is that you could offer them. So do some background investigation on them and find out where you feel they need some needs and or have some needs. I had another conversation with Park City Municipal today, and um, I suggested to them, I said, you know, you need to change recruiting for the city. And, and she said, why? And I said, because the wrong people were doing the recruiting. The managers should be doing that. And she goes, what? And I said, well, remember last March, the University of Utah uh, athletic director announced that he was firing the basketball coach. 11 days later, he announced who the new coach was. He had his list. He knew who he was going to go after. And that's what the managers should do, too shouldn't wait on HR. They should go out there and find them themselves. That's a, that's a great tip because you, so many times you get blindsided and, and people leave, good people leave because, you know, if they see you're not going anywhere, if you're not going up or you're not going out, they, they want to get, make their way. So it's understandable. Great tip, Bill. Going remote. There's so many jobs now that are, are remote, even though there is a push now to get people back in the offices. I think the remote, not every job needs to have people in the office every day. Let's face it. Going remote is the future, whether it's in education, whether it's in working, just how we live. Uh, you can do anything from anywhere now for the most part. What's your perspective on getting a job as a candidate, getting a remote job? What skills to leverage for remote versus in-person? And how do you manage that process from both sides of the table? So let's take the candidate side first. There is a major problem. And that is that most managers have never been taught how to manage. And if they haven't been taught how to manage, they are very uncomfortable with remote workers because they don't know how to track their activity, right? right? 
And so, so here's a way for those managers to start tracking activity. Work with the person, the person in their team or the people in their team and create the three-month, six-month, nine-month, and 12-month goals for that year. Make three goals for each quarter. And now you're able to track their activity and whether they're being successful in meeting the goals or not. And you'll know why or why not they succeeded. And so the annual review will be easier, but more importantly, it's going to be easier for them to be managed remotely because you're able to tell whether they're doing their job or not. Um, from the on the candidate side, you need to be able to demonstrate that you you can work independently and you have experience, successful experience doing so, and you tell stories. Uh, humans, we're hardwired to remember stories. We're very soft wired when it comes to facts. You know, talk to the police about good witnesses. <laughs> they go, that's none of them are reliable. So we remember stories. We don't remember facts. And when you tell the story, Robert, I wouldn't, I can't tell you how many times the manager said, I don't remember their name, but they're the ones that told the story about, and the other manager went, oh yeah, that's Robert. So tell stories that demonstrate that that success. One uh, issue that's always a tricky one, no matter where you are in the job search process, is discussing money because it's a very uncomfortable question that candidates are always asked. And it's it's when you're dealing with HR, it's impossible. So a couple of tips I picked up on was I ask if there's a range somewhere at mid range in terms of what this position pays. And another one was uh, asking about perks. What what's entitled besides the salary? What does this position offer? And then also opportunities for getting ahead and all of that. But those are you know they always come back if they want to be you know a pain in the neck, which usually is the case. It's like they they want a number, and it's very unsettling to a candidate because you know you could be a great candidate and you don't want to say that you don't want to undersell yourself. You don't want to put yourself out of the out of the running. And it's really, it's it's not, I don't think it's really a, a good barometer by asking that question, yet it's used all the time and it just makes everybody uncomfortable because it becomes this little power play. How do you manage that if you're a candidate? Well, I read my books. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, I'm recruiter guy. I'm the gatekeeper many times and I'm the one who negotiates with the comp between the company and the candidate. For a candidate, the most important thing to remember is the first party that puts a number on the table loses leverage. And so that's right to your point. I don't want to undersell myself. I don't want to oversell myself. If you give me a number that's too high, I'll go, yeah, we can't go there. And chances are you're not going to get an, an offer, especially one that you're looking for. So asking for a range is okay. But what I, just keep in mind who it is you're talking with. If you're talking to a professional recruiter like me, it's probably a good idea to give some kind of a range, ask them what the range is, and say, well, you know, I'm really looking for something on the higher end of that. It benefits that recruiter in most cases because they get a higher fee because it's based on your first year annualized compensation. So that's number one. Number two, you're right about the perks. It's not just salary, it's an entire package. And, you know, it could be 401k matches better. Um, it could be smaller company, it could be stock options. So there's a lot of different things that enter into that. 
I suggest keeping in mind that HR, all the other roles of HR are administrative or compliance. And so when you are required to fill an application online before there's any conversation, that means they're an administrative compliance person who's going to eventually talk to you, maybe. And that person's going to require you to put a number for your current or last compensation and a number for your salary desires. Now, in 22 states, and I think California is one of them, companies are no longer allowed to ask people what their current or last compensation was. And that's Interesting. great because mm-hmm. that, that impacts women more than anybody else. Because think about it, a lot of times companies say, well, we're going to give 5% more to that person. Well, if it's a male, let's say the male is making $100,000 a year, he'll get 5% of $100,000 a year. If it's a female and she's making $80,000 a year, she'll get 5% of $80,000. So it perpetuates that gender wage gap. Um, so what I suggest that you do is you write, you have to write a number. You can't write open, negotiable, don't write negotiable anyway, because I've seen it misspelled every conceivable way. Write the number one. And number one sales it right through because it's a number. Now, HR will get it and they'll they'll go, that can't be right. And so they'll call you and they'll say, you know, I saw number one there and what you used to make and what your current salary is and what you're looking for. And your response is, really? I put a number in there. Well, between you and me, it was one, but it was still a number. And then you ask, so is your system broken? Now, everybody's seen the blue screen of death. And I I saw that uh, that Microsoft is thinking about bringing it back. (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyway, everybody's seen that. And so they now their head is spinning. And then you say, you know, aren't we putting the cart way ahead of the horse? Shouldn't we have a conversation about the job and my skills first before we start talking about money? And then what we can do at the end of that, if you like me and I like you, wouldn't you agree that we'll find some middle ground? Well, that makes perfect sense. But unfortunately, most of these folks who are in the hiring compliance area will say, I have to have a number. That's that's their default because I've been there. That's what they go to. And regardless of how you work, try to do the workaround, it's a power play. And they're like, I'm going to get a number out of this candidate because they feel it's part of their job description to do that. Right. That means if you network your way in, you avoid all of that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. As a recruiter, are you ever incentivized to get the lower salary out of the candidate? Uh, not really. I, you know, I've I've had companies kind of make that suggestion. And I'll go, you know, that's really not a great idea. And they go, why? I said, well, you know, I'm helping you land them this time, but six six months from now, if they're being underpaid for their skills. Some other recruiter is going to call them and say, I got a better job for you. and You'll get paid a lot more mm-hmm. and buy. So okay. you spent six months training them and all of a sudden they're gone and got to start all over again. So 
I, I think it's really short-sighted if a company does that, and I will not do that for them because that's, that's bad. If you're coming into a company or approaching a company as, as a consultant, one, uh, I guess every situation is different, but do companies like that because this way they don't have to do the whole benefit thing and all of that? And if so, you you're, want to approach a company as a, as a consultant, what are some of the things you can ask for versus I do this and you pay me that? Well, because that's a lot of that's a case with a lot of folks over 50. That's why I asked that. Sure. Well, my model is very different. I work with one company at a time and I charge them a flat monthly fee. So it's a very different model. It enables me to consult with them as well as recruit for them. And in that process, I learn where their holes are in recruiting. That also gives me, you know, usually it's not HR that brings me into a company, it's an executive. And the executive is the one that's going to make the decisions right or wrong about what they'll accept or what they won't accept. So my my model is very different and it enables me to be a strategic advisor as opposed to just a recruiter. How much in that in that crucial area where the you know the candidates ask you have some questions about the company, how how interested is the hiring manager actually in the response to that, and what should, what's the best response? I mean, obviously you should know enough about the company to ask a smart question, but you don't want to have a laundry list. How do you how does a candidate manage that, particularly if you're over fifty? It depends on the job, right? Um, let's assume it's a professional job. And let's say this person's got, you know, 30 years of experience or roughly 30 years or maybe more, depending on how much over 50 they are. It's good to know why it is that they want to fill that position. Is it a replacement? Is it a new position? If it's a new position, why did they feel the need to create it? What are their expectations for it? Because job descriptions are terrible, just terrible. And, you know, you you tailor your resume to match the job description. It's terrible. So you've got a terrible, it just doesn't make sense. And that's the reason, again, you got a network. But in that process, you ask them, you know, why is it that you're looking for somebody right now? What is it you're hoping to get? And, you know, what keeps you up at night? How can I help you so you can get some sleep? Asking those questions really helps build confidence in the manager side of things and your skills. Mm. So it's all about the pain points and the spin selling, right? Like anything else. Yep. Yep. Okay. You have a 12-step program for uh, prospective uh, candidates. Um, What else do you want our listeners to know about how to best approach re-entering or making a switch in the workforce, particularly for those over 50? There are, there are people that need your help, your assistance, your skills, your experience. Uh, one of my clients was Transamerica Company. And everybody has seen the building in San Francisco, which, by the way, has no Transamerica employees in it anymore because <laughs> they can rent it for more than they <laughs> But Transamerica sent me, I was recruiting internal audit and IT auditors for them. And I was down in St. Petersburg at uh, their company there, and I was meeting with IT auditors. And I found two that I really liked, 
one of them was 65 years old. And I met with the manager after the interview. So one was 65, the other was about 48, I think, if I remember correctly. And the manager said, I really like the 65-year-old better. I said, hire him. What if he's going to leave in two years? And I said, Rich, he might leave in two years if he's the 48-year-old. <laughs> we don't have a crystal ball. And so he ended up hiring the 65-year-old. Within two years, he became director of internal audit and was moved to Cedar Rapids, Iowa to take that job. And I think he re ended up retiring at 72 or something like that. So he could go play some golf. It, your age does not matter. I'm 72. I just signed a contract today and they came to me. So it's, it doesn't matter. It's, it's what it is that you bring to the table and your self-confidence. And that's really important. Zoom. People interview, a lot of the initial interviews are over Zoom. Uh, besides the obvious, what are some tips in terms of making the most of a Zoom interview? Obviously, you want a good background. You want the lighting to be correct. You want to dress appropriately. How do you manage well, any other insider tips on that? Because it's 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 happening. It's not going away. And a lot of first interviews, second interviews are going to occur over Zoom. Well, it's important to look at the camera. And, you know, you you're going to look down in my case with you. I'm, I'm looking down to see your some of your facial expressions. However, spend the, the majority of your time practice looking at the camera because that way the person feels that you're looking at them. And in our society, unlike some others, some societies, you know, they kind of defer to look down to one side or the other. But in our society, we got to look them eye to eye. Right, right. <laughs> and so when you're in a Zoom conference call, uh, it's important to spend as much time as you can looking at the camera. Best step to getting started. Is it that laundry list, that long networking list, or is it to take a step back and say, hey, what are my skills? What do I really want to do? Because I think uh, so many times people go in on job search and they don't really don't know what they want. Well, that's true. What I suggest you do is that you get two sheets of legal paper and at the top of one, write professional, at the top of the other, write personal, and then list everything that you do well professionally on one, personally on the other. It's something that nobody else is going to see. It's just going to be you. And, you know, include skills and also include important experience. Then wash back through and put an asterisk next to the things that you do well that you enjoy doing. Ah. So for me, I, I can handle employee relations issues, but... I don't want to do that. <laughs> to me, it's yicky. I want to do the positive side of things. And so on my website, if you see the words employee and relations together anywhere, let me know because I'm separating those puppies. Mm -hmm. So put an asterisk next to the things you do well and enjoy doing. And then the third step is to go back through and create a story that talks about what the situation was, what was your analysis, what was your action, what was the result, and what would, would you do as a result of what you learned? Fantastic. Now, 
what sometimes you could do if you're having a great conversation and they say, well, you know, you're telling me about all this good stuff that you've done, but give me a time when you failed. Well, if you're having a great conversation and they're laughing and you're laughing, then you talk about that failure and you go, you want to know what I learned from that? And they go, yeah, what? I learned never to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) You keep it light. You keep it light. And what that does is you're building a relationship because just like you, they'll laugh. And now you're getting closer because you shared a vulnerability and you learned something from it. Great stuff. I love your work. I love what you're doing, Bill. Thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. We'll have to do it again. You're helping a lot of people, a lot of companies. Keep doing the good work. RecruiterGuy.com, Bill Humbert. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men, better world. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, a terrific conversation with the recruiter guy, Bill Humbert. What did we learn? I think we learned that it's never too old to uh, transfer your skills from one industry to another industry, from one job to another job, from one company to another company. And the key, the number one priority to finding a new job is networking through all the friends you have, all your business colleagues, past, present, hopefully future, and just working it because recruiters work for hiring companies. If there's a position, maybe they can get you in front of them, but most of the positions are found through networking. Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time in Southern California on KCAA Radio at 8 p.m., 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. Listen live, stream, or download the show rebroadcast on KCAA Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific time. My podcast, my YouTube, my Rumble, all post worldwide every Thursday if you want to just watch the interview, go to the, uh, the YouTube channel, Robert Manny. I ask you uh, one favor, if you could, if you could subscribe, if you enjoy the content and the guests I bring you each and every week, subscribe to my YouTube, subscribe to my Rumble, subscribe to my Apple Podcasts, whatever, wherever you consume your content, your Guys Guys content. And thank you for your support. You can catch more of me on my website, robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I.com, M-A-N-N-I.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about everything about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, diet, fitness, health, wealth, well-being, relationships, job hunting, jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think you'll really enjoy that. There's over 300 uh, blog posts, all free for you. You can also download three free chapters of my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, about two men in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's the source material for all things Guy's Guy. It's a romp. It's been called the male successor to Sex in the City. We've got savvy female characters. We've got some <laughs> wild male characters, and it's a real romp, and I think you'll have a lot of fun with the book. It's a real blue sky kind of uh, 
environment that I've created. And uh, men seem to like the book because it's about how we roll. And ladies seem to enjoy the book because it gives them a peek behind the curtain into the weird, wacky world of modern men and their strange dating and odd dating habits. So I hope you'll check that out. I want to thank my all my guests, my over 600 guests I've had on the show for the past few years and everything that I've been able to learn. And hopefully you folks out there picked up by listening to uh, my interviews with these guests. I asked the questions, hopefully that you would want to ask and get the information out there that could help all of us. I want to thank uh, Dave Baziri and his band Noba for our theme music that we play up front and throughout the show. And also I want to thank my strategist Ryan Gilpatrick who helps me out in all things guys guy as well as my ace producer Chris Marcello thank you Chris for the wonderful work you do each and every week but most of all I want to thank my audience thank you for being with me thank you for growing with me I've got a lot more shows a lot more guests we're really going to grow together and thank you we're in 101 countries now and going strong and there's lots more on the way so guys guys radio I'm going to see you next week and as I always like to say guys guys Finish first. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men better world.